You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership, and conversation from visionary industry experts, and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad, and ProcureTech fanboy. And now, here's this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every time we bring you everything that is fun, exciting and innovative in the digital procurement space. And we're continuing with our series of interviewing industry leaders and experts on the digital procurement topic. And this week, I'm actually going to be talking to a gentleman who goes back to the podcasting space way back in 2009. So he was definitely the first podcaster in procurement and actually one of the first bloggers as well. But as we all find out, he's got a very interesting background that spans both media and procurement. And because he's been in this space such a long time, we're going to have a great conversation of how tech has evolved really, uh, you know, since the early days when there weren't really that many platforms uh, out there to be able to to interview or get insights on. So without any further ado, John Hansen, very warm welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Well, thank you. I always like being here. I, obviously, this is a topic, procurement and technology, uh, near and dear to my heart. So it's great to be on here. And again, I want to congratulate you on your podcast being classified as one of the top 25 most influential in the industry. I know I've tuned in in the past and have enjoyed very much listening to you. So kudos to you on that, James. So you've got a you've got an interesting background of having worked in the media, but also with a strong procurement uh, streak as well. So yeah, maybe tell everyone that how that came about and and really what your 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 unique view is from having both angles. Well, I'll have to tell you, I've been in the high tech industry for almost forty years. In fact, more than forty years, and procurement almost as long. And and what that's given me as a perspective is not only understanding the practitioner side of things, of which I was heavily involved, but the provider side. Uh, one of my first uh, and uh, early business ventures was to uh, start a company with funding from the Government of Canada's Scientific Research and Experimental Development Program that leveraged algorithms to enable the Department of National Defense to procure or secure would you call MRO or indirect materials to support their entire uh, entire nationwide military installation base, the technology infrastructure. We later moved that to the New York City Transit Authority. I sold that company in 2000. And that's really where the shift began to happen because I'd done a lot of radio and television interviews, obviously, in, in, in my role as a founder of that company. But what happened is, is that someone approached me and said, look, you know, uh, why don't you do a blog? And I thought, a blog? What's a blog? And remember, going <laughs> way back when, I mean, you know, blogging was, uh, wasn't heard of. And I mean, I'm going back even from my history. I mean, I'm, I'm pre-DOS uh, and uh, Microsoft Windows. I'm going back to the, the CPM days. But the reality is that they said, okay, blog, why? And, and I was writing for magazines, and I was uh, certainly busy in that regard. But the blog afforded me the opportunity to be able to just write content into one place my place and uh, make it available so that the public, the, the media companies, the magazines for whom I, I, I was writing 
could call that blog and get information and use it as a reference point. So the blog started off with humble beginnings of just sharing experiences and stories and perspectives. Uh, and that was May 2007. By 2009, Blog Talk Radio was, in, uh, was launched in uh, New York City. And I'd always had a fondness for radio. And we kidded before in the green room, James, that, uh, you know, for me, I have a face that I've been told is meant for radio. So it was a perfect Me medium. <laughs> and uh, I, launched a, I launched a PI window on business, window on the world uh, broadcast. Uh, 900 episodes later, when I retired, we, we've done pretty well. We brought up the uh, monthly listener base to 15,000 a month. And some of the uh, episodes that we had, because we were able to secure uh, guests, not just from the procurement world, but from the business world in general to complement what we're talking about in procurement, to give a broader spectrum of what's going on in the enterprise as a whole. You know, uh, we, we uh, had some episodes where we were downloaded 30, 35,000 times within 72 hours of the live broadcast. Now, again, part of that is, is we were the first, I was the first and the only podcast at that time. Since then, of course, there were so many more, which is exciting. But uh, the reality is, is it, it, was, it, it enabled the procurement messaging and the understanding of procurement to get to an entirely new audience through an entirely new medium. And uh, it, was, it was exciting. It was, it was really enjoying. And that's how I've sort of dovetailed into where I am today uh, with procurement insights and the writing that I do. And that's amazing, isn't it? Going back to 2009 when that started out and kudos to the amount of downloads you were getting back then. Admittedly, you were the only player, but still to get that many downloads for a podcast is incredibly impressive. So uh, yeah, definitely definitely have to tap into some of it to, to get some tips from you at some point. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. So what were the topics then back in the day? And to, you know, to what extent was digital transformation you know, a buzzword or a hot topic back then compared to what it is today? Well, you know, it's interesting. We didn't call it digital transformation back then, but a lot of the subject matter and topics that we're talking about today actually originated and continue to be issues and have continued to be issues over the last 20, 30 years. To, to give you an idea, one of the biggest challenges in, in, in the procurement world was that the, the earlier platforms were ERP-based, they were ERP-driven, and procurement personnel and, and professionals weren't involved in that selection process of the technology. It was IT and finance driven. So in many ways, there's a great deal of frustration and the majority of the implementations, uh, not criticizing ERPs because ERPs still have a vital role, but I'd say now a more proper role to play in everyday business. 
But back then, uh, the majority of e-procurement initiatives would fail and fail miserably, costing tens of millions of dollars. The emergence of the on-demand or SaaS demand software uh, it was, was exciting because that what that did is it started to shift away from a, 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 a centralized uh, monolithic approach to automation to one that was strategically effective and geared towards the procurement people. And the, the interesting point, as we track this story over the last uh, 10, 20 years, is that the experience and the setbacks of, of digital transformation, we'll call them that now, with ERP, we thought would be solved and remedy with the emergence of the new solutions and the new technologies, such as the ones that, that, that I initially developed, the, the prototypes, the, the, the ones that the Department of Defense utilized. And in 2019, uh, Deloitte CPO Global Survey indicated that the majority of CPOs were dissatisfied with the results of their initiative. In other words, it wasn't a technology problem, ultimately, uh, all these years, not by itself. Of course, the ERP technology was cumbersome for procurement, but it was the people in the mindset approach. It was how to leverage that technology. It was how to implement that. It was the view of procurement and supply chain. And that move from being an adjunct function of finance to being a key strategic uh, player within the enterprise. And we've learned that from the pandemic more so than ever before. Uh, that has caused organizations and people to look at the technology through a much different lens. In other words, you don't throw technology at something and expect it to fix everything. It's a people process technology business. You have to have the right people in place. You have to decide on the right technology and understand how to utilize it and effectively leverage it uh, through, uh, through the understanding of your process. And you have to adapt the technology to your processes. Technology doesn't improve process. Process has to be improved using technology as a tool. And you know what I'm talking about and the difference there, I hope, James. Yeah, and I and I love that because they go hand in hand together, don't they? I mean, you can have you can have a team of A players, but if you're forcing them to use cumbersome or outdated technology, especially when you're looking at wider stakeholders beyond procurement teams, they're just not going to adopt it, are they? If it's something that's so complex that you require two weeks of training to use it and you're a maintenance engineer that comes into the office with oily hands and need to order some spare parts, you're not going to want to have to think, you know, which, which, which four-digit commands am I going to have to type into a system to be able to create a purchase requisition? You just want to go onto your app and be able to, and, and be able to buy something. Well, and, 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 you know, this is an interesting point, though, and this is where the, the process and the business and technology come together. Uh, let me give you an idea. There, there was a major organization, service organization, uh, which gave their techs incentives by the number of service calls they could do in a day. And the number of service calls, uh, the higher or the more service calls you did, the, 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 the better your score and the better your compensation. Uh, on the other side, though, they want to implement a system. And this is to your point, James, they want to implement a system that when the technician was on site and determined or diagnosed what the problem was, that they would go online and order that part at that location before moving on to the next location. Now, as you follow me on this, one of the biggest problems, however, is the technology was cumbersome. So what it meant is, is that by using the technology, instead of saving time and getting parts ordered when they need to be, it, it actually cut down on the metrics or the performance metrics of the of the, uh, the service uh, 
technician because they couldn't do as many calls if they had to stop at each location uh, at the end of each call and order the product. So what ended up happening is, is they shun the technology and they do what's known as sandbagging, where they'd hold the technology or hold all the orders until the end of the day and submit. But James, there was a problem with that. Uh, is the fact is, is that with indirect material, uh, MRO, especially computer technology, the price in the morning of a particular part may be $100, but by late afternoon, as the geographic time zone of sourcing began to shrink and you had a greater urgency, that price of $100 could easily become eight, nine hundred, or $1,000. And so what ended up happening by sandbagging, the technicians were really doing their job based upon the incentives that were created for them the maximum number of calls, but in the long run, it drove up the cost of the parts that they needed to service. And so it's a matter of a combination of process. And within that process, you've got policy and incentives, and you've got to bring those together and collaborate more effectively. And that became difficult, James, with many organizations, because again, finance was usually a back office, or rather procurement was usually a, a, a back office adjunct of finance. Uh, rarely involved with the, anything and rarely seen as doing more than simply just buying at the lowest cost when needed. It was very much a react mode. Procurement and supply chain today is recognized for its strategic importance. And so rather than, than being an afterthought in automation, the biggest change is that the procurement and professional procurement professionals and, and supply chain are now seen as the leaders of that change rather than a spectator in that transformation. You see where I'm going? I do see exactly where you're going, and I think it's completely valid, and I, I, I don't dispute any of what you've said, but I would then, I would still throw back the question, do you think that that's where, where the, the biggest potential impact can be in terms of technology within procurement, or do you think, or do you still feel that there is, there's still so much greenfield space or untapped potential just in terms of optimizing and automating and eliminating human error from procure to pay processes that you know even though tech can do so much more wonderful stuff now with things like you know supply chain material traceability sustainability order tracking risk management fraud detection or, or do you still think that at its core the biggest technological advancement will be if p2p can be for the large part automated thus freeing up procurement professionals time to work on more added value stuff Let's talk about what you just said, that last sentence, freeing up procurement's time. Technology, and I've always believed this, and it, it, it was a famous Twitter, uh, Twitter tweet by the founder of BoxNet, uh, Levy, who said about Uber, Uber builds for, doesn't build for the way, uh, improving the way the world does work. It builds technology for the way in which the world should work. And it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. The trouble is, is that when you create all of this freedom to let people become more strategic in their tasks, what exactly does that mean? For example, with the Department of Defense, they had 21 buyers, 21 people managing the uh, the D&D infra contract infrastructure, and it was a large contract. Through the automation process and the improvements that we made, within 18 months, they went from 21 buyers down to three. So here's the question. Uh, James, what do you do with the other 18? Yeah, and that is a very valid question. And I guess my only answer to that would be, it depends on how willing and how capable they are to upskill and change to the to the working environment that they're going to find themselves in. And I think that does 
also then beg the question, what business model or business process outsourcing company is going to follow when a lot of this transactional work is is ultimately automated? It does ask a lot of very probing questions into the future. But I still think that if a procurement professional is willing to upskill and move with the times and see the writing on the wall, that headcounts and staffing levels within procurement teams won't necessarily be fewer than what they are today. The roles are just going to look very, very different. You know, you just hit the nail on the head there. The roles are going to look very, very different. There's a major overall that's happening. And I mean, it's not just within procurement realms, within the CIO office. Uh, I recently talked about a survey in early 2000 from CIO magazine where they were saying, is this the end of the CIO? And they were saying that, you know, our job uh, in IT has to extend beyond our backroom functionality of the technology. We have to go out there and shake hands and meet people and, and get involved <laughs> Tech with people stakeholders. Don't like doing that, do they? In fact, should we even call ourselves? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and they said, should we even call ourselves chief information officers anymore? Maybe we've got to change the name. Well, the reality that's changing here with procurement and where the late's coming in is those 18 positions uh, when we become less functionally driven and more strategic driven, have to expand, as you suggest, to new areas of endeavor. We have to look at factors such as cybersecurity, and I'll touch on that very quickly momentarily. We have to look at data management uh, and 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 uh, you know what what we do with data, because one of the things, and, and I often cite Rob Hanfield once telling me that uh, digital transformation is impossible without clean data. And the fact remains is, is that the majority of organizations, and this is from uh, IDC, only analyze 5% of the data they have. So they're flying blind even with the automation. So we need, who, who's gonna take the lead on that? Well, let's go to, let's go to cybersecurity for a second. There's these other areas, because you, you brought up a great point. They gotta expand or up, uh, up, uh, up their game, so to speak. Well, you know, a study in Supply Chain Digest found that 53% of all enterprise breaches occurred through a third-party partner or vendor. Think about that for a second. And who should own those relationships? Who should own the third-party vendor and the supplier relationships? Should it be finance? Should it be IT? Or maybe it should be procurement. What do you think? There's a new role there. And the, 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 the thing is that these breaches that happen, and these are interesting, compelling statistics. Uh, these breaches that happen, it takes on average for a company six to nine months to even know that a breach has occurred. And it takes them another three plus months to fix it. So over that entire year, someone who has penetrated through a third party vendor, uh, the, the enterprise's IT infrastructure has been able to move around and do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and, and most of the time, not knowing. So procurement people, what do we do? We have to look at the relationship. We have to get involved with understanding how to manage that data. And, you know, in that, that same Supply Chain Digest article, uh, they asked uh, they asked CPOs, well, who's responsible for data? And, and, and the majority of CPOs said, well, we're not. That's the supplier's responsibility. Who's responsible for a breach? Well, they are. If they have a breach, uh, they've got to be able to look after it. Well, here is the inherent problem with that is that they're not looking after it. And you have to now understand the line of sight and ownership of data right through the extended supply chain. I don't think 
that there's anyone better positioned than procurement professionals to understand how to structure those relationships, how to engage suppliers, how to coordinate that and manage those risks. Uh, and that extends even into in, in, into non-cyber threat areas. I mean, managing ESG objectives and goals. Uh, those things are imperative, but you've got to choose the right suppliers. You've got to build the right infrastructure. So we have to become strategic and view our role beyond the traditional limitations or silos of getting something at the best price as fast as we can to building an infrastructure that prevents us from, from experiencing some of the disruptions that obviously were exposed during the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah, I think just touching a little bit or, or extending that somewhat further, risk management on the one side is going to be paramount and is going to be obviously going to be a growing function. But I also think if certain aspects of what procurement is currently doing is going to get automated or is going to get phased out, then you know, you, you hit on it as well, going to be spending time, you know, communicating more with the organization and also with suppliers. Procurement as a function historically have been dreadful at internal marketing and communication, haven't they? When you compare to how, to how good sales are or environmental health and safety are at communicating their message. And, you know, I do think, I, I do think there's a certain part of procurement as a function that needs to focus more on internal marketing and you know, when, when I've asked, when I've done surveys on LinkedIn and said, you know, procurement pros, do you think it's harder to negotiate with external suppliers or to, or to convince stakeholders to, to implement your initiatives? And nine times out of 10, they'll always say negotiating internally is harder because, you know, we have typically, we have less leverage internally and less clout as a function, if you will, than, than someone like a, a finance or an IT might have. So, you know, I think that's the other part of the equation as well. But, you know, it's interesting. The dynamic is changing in that regard. You're right. For many, many years, uh, you know, first of all, let's let's look at it. I, I remember speaking in front of audiences of all sizes, whether 20 or 500, and asking the question uh, a decade ago, how many of you chose procurement as a profession? <laughs> and if you got maybe one or two hands up, you were doing well because the majority of people fell into it. It was just something that came up that needed to be done and, and, they, and they did it. So number one, you have people who were in the profession who really weren't from the profession. The second thing that's, that, that's most interesting and telling to me, and this will go to my point, is that a few years ago at a survey in Virginia at a conference I began and did several surveys throughout the conference sessions, the, uh, the question was asked, if you had to do it all over again, how many of you would choose procurement as a profession? And more than 50% said they would choose another profession. But here was the surprising point to me, and it floored me, is the fact that I thought most of those, or the majority of those saying they'd choose another profession, were the long timers, the people who've been in it for a while and never really chose it. It turns out that there was a fair mix of percentages of not only those who've been in the industry for 10, 15, 20 years, but people had only been in the industry for one or two years. So going to your point about selling uh, procurement, selling supply chain professionals, I mean, I think we have to do a better job of selling our own identity to those we bring into the profession. And thus that positions us to take the lead in all of these other key areas, which we have to, like cybersecurity, like data management, like all of these other aspects of it. We can no longer be spectators, but we've got to be able to make sure that people are coming into the profession for the right reason, with the right understanding, and also possessing, if not the 
all the right skills, certainly the, 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 the propensity for learning and the desire to learn beyond the familiar. And that's really where we have to do it. It, it begins with us. Now, within an organization, you, you're, you're right, James, some organizations will continue to look at, at, at procurement as being nothing more than a functional exercise or an adjunct of finance. Uh, and I'm often asked, well, what happens? This is all great talks we're having. We know these things are important. And I was asked this on the air once uh, by a procurement professional, but I'm going to go to my company tomorrow morning all motivated and hepped up, and they're going to say, that's not your role. Procurement only does this. What do I do? And I said, you find another company. You find companies that are innovative. You find companies that are going to be involved. That, that may seem like a, a smart remark, uh, you know, an off-the-cuff remark, but let's look at businesses in general. And this is where the ripple effect comes in, James. You know, I, I, I wrote an article uh, uh, about a year or so ago uh, in which I, I found out that uh, 95% of all the companies who were listed on the F, uh, fin uh, financial uh, uh, post uh, uh, top 500 companies, biggest companies in the world, 95% of those aren't on that list anymore and many of them are gone. And one of the cited reasons was the inability to adapt. They didn't have the agility to adapt, to change, to respond to changes. So organizations you're with now, the smart organizations, they're now looking at this and saying, wait a second, purchasing isn't just merely a transactional function. Purchasing is very strategic and we need to train and get the right people in place to do the job. And, 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 and I think that's really the key shift that I, I'm starting to see happen gradually. Technology is exciting. The introduction of technology, no doubt about it. I mean, back in 30, 40 years ago, uh, programming, the debugging, the industry-specific apps uh, from which a lot of these SaaS originated uh, on the basic four, the MIA basic four, were, were bug-filled and they had some challenges with it. Today's technology, generally speaking across the board, is going to work and work well. It's going to work intuitively. You know, you don't have that same uh, proprietary, if you will, uh, technology uh, that, that, that is prone to having bugs or, or needed uh, extensive uh, fixes. The, the problem is, is technology didn't repair the, 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 the challenges that we're running into now because the challenges reside, again, in how organizations define and recognize the importance of procurement. And that not only starts at where we are as professionals, but also starts at the top of the organization in the highest levels of the C-suite, recognizing what procurement can do and literally providing the, 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 the right incentives, the right guidance, the right motivations to, 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 to expand that scope. Uh, I think that's, that's really a key part of it. And organizations that do that will ultimately be more successful than, than those that continue to operate within the, 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 the confines of, of what we were in the past. No, completely agree. And the right, the right financial investments into technology is obviously part and parcel of that. John, I could talk, to, uh, talk about this all day, but I'm going to have to let you go. I know you're a busy guy. So last question, if anyone would like to connect with you or find out more about what you're up to, uh, where's the best place that they can reach out? Well, you know, it's interesting. You can find me on LinkedIn, obviously, but all you have to do is type into the Google search procurement insights and uh, the blog with my contact information will pop up. Excellent. Well, if we can give you one more backlink, then we'll link to that as well in the show notes. John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your wisdom. And uh, yeah, good luck with your latest ventures. Thank you so much, James. Pleasure to be here. 
So John, as you can tell, is uh, a great sage and, and huge fountain of knowledge in this space and has been around for a very long time uh, and has come across a lot of digital solutions over the years that he's been involved in the procurement and supply chain space. So uh, thanks again, John, for coming on the show. Catch you again next time. Thanks again for listening. Take care wherever you are, you are in the world and bye for now. <laughs>